There is none like you among the gods, O Lord, nor are there any works like yours. All the nations you have made shall come and worship before you, O Lord, and shall glorify your name. For you are great and do wondrous things. You alone are God. Teach me your way, O Lord, that I may walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. I give thanks to you, O Lord my God, with my whole heart, and I will glorify your name forever. For great is your steadfast love toward me. You have delivered my soul from the depths of Sheol. Those are verses 8 through 13 of Psalm 86, which along with Psalm 85 are the psalms appointed for today, Thursday, August the 4th, 2022. You're listening to Faith Seeking Understanding, and I'm your host, John Green. Thanks for being along today. We are looking continu- continuing our look at the book of Judges and the life of Gideon, particularly right now, um, chapter 8, verses 22 to 35. In the gospel, we're in John 1, verses 43 to 51, and then in the book of the Acts of the Apostles, chapter 4, verses 1 to 12. So, what we, what we saw yesterday was the defeat of the Midianites and the Amalekites, not, not completely the defeat of the Amalekites, um, by Gideon in, in leading the 300 men against him and then calling all the other tribes that are in near proximity to that area to come and, and fight with them. So now the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. Good answer. I mean, right? I mean, they weren't supposed to have a king. They were supposed to have the Lord as their king. And so Gideon said to them, let me make a request of you, though. Every one of you, give me the earrings from his spoil, for they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So apparently that's a piece of common knowledge or it would have been a piece of common knowledge at the time, oh, okay, these people are Ishmaelites. Remember who the Ishmaelites are, right? They're the children of Ishmael, the son that uh, Abraham fathered through Hagar, the maid of Sarah, in a a, uh, misguided attempt to produce the one that was the son of the promise. And so then he had to put them away. There's a little more to that story. There's more to that story than, than meets the eye. Ishmael comes back around in the story later. If you want to see that, go to BibleGateway.com and search for Ishmael. And what you'll see is, is that when Abraham dies, he and uh, Isaac come back together and bury him. So there's something going on there, a little more than meets the eye with Ishmael and his relationship. But here, it, it has nothing to do with this because this is they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. So the Midianites were Ishmaelites. They were children of Ishmael. And so they answered, they, the people, answered, we will willingly give them. And they spread a cloak, and every man threw it threw in the earrings of his spoil. So he allowed them to keep everything else. I mean, they could have kept this. He just asked it of them. And so the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels of gold beside the crescent ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and besides the collars that were around the necks of their camels. And Gideon made an ephod ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel whored after it there, and it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Now, there's a lot of speculation about what this thing was and why it was there and why Gideon did what he did. There are some that will suggest, well, the the national shrine, the place where the nation was worshiping at the time was at Shiloh, and that's where Saul, not Saul, um, that's where Samuel ends up being, is there at Shiloh serving under Eli. So, but 
here what we get is is that so we got this ephod and some people suggest well it was similar to the 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 breastplate that the high priest wore that had the urim and the thummim on it that he used to to get answers from God and so people speculate well he's setting up kind of a rival place of worship in the same way King Jeroboam will do after the death of Solomon when Jeroboam and the, the northern kingdoms the, the tribes in the north split away then then he does basically makes two more calves and it's exactly the same language that Aaron uses at that time these are your gods who brought you up out of Egypt and so there's there's a suggestion that that's kind of what's happening here with this ephod, this golden ephod, which would be an undergarment, essentially, that that it became a snare. And so did it become a shrine? Did it become an idol? What? It's, it's hard to tell. So Midian was subdued before the people of Israel, and they raised their heads no more. And the land had rest 40 years in the days of Gideon. Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, that's Gideon, because remember, he gets the name Jerubbabel to say, let Baal um, contend for himself, is what that means. So they gave him that name after he destroyed the altar of Baal. So Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and lived in his own house. Now Gideon had 70 sons, his own offspring, for he had many wives. Nowhere in Scripture is that a commended practice, by the way. It's not a forbidden practice uh, at this time, but it's, but it's certainly never commended. And his concubine, who was in Shechem, also bore him a son, and she, he called his name Abimelech. And we need to know that because he's going to become important in a minute. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age and was buried in the tomb of Joash, his father, at Ophrah of the Abizarites. And Abizarites are the tribe that he's—not the tribe, sorry, the clan that he's from. As soon as Gideon died, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals and made Baal Berith their god. I mean, it's amazing, as I've said multiple times, that everything rises and falls based on leadership. And that's exactly right. While Gideon lived, then they, they continued to, to worship Yahweh. But as soon as he died, it says, they turned away and started going after the Baals. And the people of Israel did not remember the Lord their God, who had delivered them from the hand of all their enemies on every side and did not show steadfast love to the family of Jerubbabel, in, that is Gideon, in return for all the good he had done to Israel. You would think that after you'd had 40 years of peace and prosperity— then, then you'd say, hey, why don't we just continue on the road we've been on? But, hey, I live in the 20th century, and I've seen America go down the tubes and go after other gods um, in spite of the prosperity or perhaps because of the prosperity, because we, we've had the, the freedom, uh, headspace freedom, to consider insanities like this whole trans movement. Um, you know, I, I've been listening to a lot of stuff in the last little bit about narcissism, um, and I've got a good reason for listening to this stuff. But um, it, that's what this is, this whole transgender thing. It's an attempt to, you've created a fantasy world and, and called it reality. You want me to live into it. And, and it's just, and it's what we do in times of prosperity. It's the reason that, that one of the most dangerous things for God's people is prosperity, because we lose the thread too easily. We, we get bored with that, and then we, we go off on these weird tangents. In the uh, gospel so Jesus has, has met with the, the disciples of John, and now the next day he decided to go to Galilee. He found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. So these are all Galileans. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we found him of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth the son of Joseph. And Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? 
I mean, nobody expects anything good to come out of Nazareth. That was not to be the home of the Messiah. And so it's, it throws every single person that, that, wait a minute, you're saying the Messiah is of Nazareth. He's supposed to be from Bethlehem. He's supposed to be from down in Judah. And, and he is from the tribe of Judah, and he was born in Bethlehem, but he is known primarily as Jesus of Nazareth. Because remember, after, the, uh, after his birth, then Herod says, I'm going to kill all the children under two years of age. And so they have to flee and go to Egypt. And they come back to Nazareth because it's not as the, the heat isn't as hot on them when they're up in Nazareth. They're, they're not looking for him in the same way. They're not, he's not reminding them of that edict. So, so it's understandable that Philip would say that, or that Nathaniel, sorry, would say that. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Nobody expected that. It was on the edge of the land, and they were more compromised there in the mind of those who lived down south than than everybody else was. So Philip's response to that is the same as Jesus. Come and see. Just come on. Come and see. Don't make a judgment based on that. You've, you've made a snap judgment based on one word, Nazareth. And so you've rejected him based on that. And so come and see, he says. Come and see. There's something to see. So Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed, in whom there is no deceit. Now, that's an interesting turn of phrase, to say the least. An Israelite in whom there's no deceit. So Israel, remember, was a name God gave to Jacob after he put his hip out at Peniel. And they're in the—so the, there what happens is he gets the name, the one who struggles with God. That's what Israel means, the one who struggles with God. So—but what was the previous name, right? Jacob, which means deceiver. So here he says, Behold an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. So he, he's, an, he, he's, not, he, he's not an Israelite who used to be Jacob because he has no deceit in him. So um, Nathanael said to him, how do you know me? In other words, I'll receive that. But Jesus answered him, before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered him, Rabbi, you're the son of God, you're the king of Israel. Because he knew where he was. So he, he sees that Jesus knows things that he didn't have any way of knowing. And, and he goes from being incredibly skeptical, can anything good come out of Nazareth, to, Rabbi, you're the Son of God, the King of Israel. You're the Messianic King that we've been waiting for. And Jesus, you could just see, the, you can imagine the, the delighted look on Jesus' face as he says, because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree? Do you believe? You'll see greater things than these. I mean, this is like, that's the least little thing I could have done to authenticate myself to you. Um, you, you aren't going to believe what you're going to see over the next period of time. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now, why is that, why is that the thing that he would say? Well, it goes back to an Israelite, indeed, the one in whom there's no deceit, because who was it that saw angels from heaven ascending and descending. Well, that was Jacob on his way up to meet his uh, future in-laws and his future wives, plural. So, so Jesus brings it back around to that same thing. You're just beginning your journey, son. And see, that's what happened with Jacob, right? On his journey, he meets God in that place. But, and says, this surely is where God lives. And so when he says, you're going to see him ascending and descending on the Son of Man, Jesus pointing directly to himself and says, you're going to see what your forefathers saw, but you're going to see it right here. 
the dwelling place of God is right here where I am, because that was Jacob's response. This is the dwelling place of God. So when he says this, he's speaking to him as he spoke to him in the beginning, an Israelite in whom there's no deceit, and he's, he's drawing it back around to what that one saw, and, and he's pointing to himself. This is the dwelling place of God. And in the um, Acts reading today, remember the man has been healed at the beautiful gate. Peter and John have looked at him, and Peter has spoken words of healing, and the man who was born lame has leapt up and was walking and leaping and praising God. He was utterly healed in every single way. So now what we get is um, the aftermath of that, because they've been witnessing to the people, and they've told them, here's what just happened we didn't do it. It wasn't our power that caused this to happen. It was that Jesus that y'all crucified. God raised him from the dead, and it's the power of that spirit that did what we just did. So as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of men came to about 5,000. We don't know if that's 5,000 new converts or if if now the church has grown to 5,000 men. On the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes, the, the, the council, the Sanhedrin, gathered together in Jerusalem. With Annas, the high priest, and Caiaphas, and John, and Alexander, they were sons of the high priestly family. So they got all the big shots there. They brought in the heavy artillery to examine him, to examine Peter and John. And it's very similar to the kangaroo court that was convened for Jesus, but they're doing this in the daytime now. But, but they've got all the big guns there to show up for this thing because there's got to be an inquisition. And, and it's interesting because Matthew told us, right, that, um, that there was a story that they cooked up, this same group of people cooked up with the soldiers, uh, about how say that they, these people took him from the tomb. They took the body. And so it's these same people who are now sitting in judgment over Peter and John for teaching about the resurrection in the name of Jesus. Uh, now they want, to, they, they want to quash this movement. And when they'd set them in their midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? Well, they'd surely been told <laughs> There's no way in the world that they don't know. So why are you asking this question? It seems like a very strange question. And it says, Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man's been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified. Now, Christ is not his last name, right? It would be better to translate this in some ways, Jesus the Christ of Nazareth, Jesus the anointed one of Nazareth. It's that Jesus, the one from Nazareth, that guy. So it was by the power and in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. I mean, this is Peter, who at the house of the high priest on the night of the trial denied to slave girls that he even knew Jesus, denounced him, separated himself from him by a curse, wouldn't tell a slave girl that he was one of his disciples. Now he stands before the whole Sanhedrin and proclaims in the name of Jesus. 
He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. You rejected it, but he is the cornerstone of the faith now. You were wrong. You're the builders. He's pointing to you when Jesus said this. This talked about this before. And the psalm, it speaks of you. You're the builders. You rejected him. He is the chief cornerstone. God put him there. And, and there's salvation in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And so what, what he's saying here is absolutely remarkable. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So he is the Messiah. He's the fulfillment of everything. His name is the earthly name that we need to claim because he has now been resurrected and he's ascended to the right hand of the Father. And so if you want to know how to be saved, he says, Jesus. If you don't take his name, it doesn't matter what your title is. It doesn't matter what you know. It doesn't matter what you believe. Because if you don't believe in the one by, by whose power, through the Holy Spirit, this man was healed, then you're not going to be saved which means that in the end, you will be judged, and you will not participate in the life of the world to come. So for Peter to proclaim that to this group of people it is absolutely amazing. After he denied even knowing Jesus to, the slave, to these people's slave girls, here he stands before them a fearless man. He is no longer living in fear of these people because he has seen the resurrection of the dead, and he has received the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We're intended to have that kind of fearless faith and that kind of boldness. That should typify Christians. We should know what Jesus has done for us, and we should boldly proclaim it however and whenever we have an opportunity.